Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Awesome. Awesome. Good morning. How is everybody doing? Great. Good. It's so good to be here with you this morning. What's the deal with Jesus' return? Am I right? Okay. All right. So today we um, we're going to be continuing. <laughs> All right. Start over. St- restart the recording. All right. Today we're going to be uh, continuing our, our series through uh, the Nicene Creed and talking about Jesus' return. And for today, what I want the the big takeaway. For us to be what I think this uh, really uh, reveals to us as we look at Jesus returning is the idea that because he's coming back, we have hope. Hope. Anybody recognize this this clip, this movie? Anybody? Yeah, the the Hunger Games. And if we leave it up there long enough, people start getting real irritated. Um, and so we're going to push through. So the the Hunger Games. All right, done. All right, the Hunger Games is uh, is a story of of hope, right? I've not I've not read the novels, but I, I've seen the movies. I I, I haven't, we haven't the last movie's not out yet, so I don't know how it ends. But it seems to be it seems to be moving in a real positive direction. All right, there's this there's an oppressed people that are that are being. Uh, held down by the, the mean capital, right? And they have these terrible hunger games and to, to squelch hope in, in, the, uh, in the people that the capital city forces to work for them and grow their food and do all this stuff, right? But then Katniss Everdeen uh, joins the games and she not only wins the game, but she is loving and gracious and, and wonderful and she shoots a bow and arrow and everybody loves her and she instills hope in the hopeless people of... That world. I don't, not, I don't know what it's called. That place. That place of the Hunger Games. All right. And so it's a, it's a story of hope. And we see that the picture of, of the Mockingjay. There it is. There it is. And there it is. Um, so the, the Mockingjay. And it is this. It instills hope in the people. Right. That they can rise above the oppression of the capital city. And they um, can find victory. And so it, it uh, helps them to fight against the bad guys, and I assume they're going to win. We'll see. This is a spoiler-free zone. If you've read the books, do not tell me how it ends, okay? Hunger Games, it's a story of hope, right? And I think that one of the reasons the Hunger Games is so popular is this reason, because it is dealing with this uh, topic of finding hope in what seems to be a hopeless situation, Right? And we can all see this in our own lives. We can all see this in the world around us, right? It seems like things are just going from bad to worse. Things are getting more and more hopeless. Right? We can turn on the, the news or, or read the, the newspaper, right? And every, you know, it seems like there's a, all these stories about ISIS and it's so scary and human trafficking and what are we going to do about that and, and world hunger. You know, there's all this stuff going on and how can I play a significant part? How can I help make this world a better place? It just seems so insurmountable. It just seems so hopeless. 
And sometimes, you know, hopelessness, hopelessness can hit a little closer to home, right? We can, uh, maybe your car breaks down, right? And we don't have the finances to fix it. And it's like, well, how am I going to get to work? And if I can't get to work, I can't make money. And if I can't make money, I can't fix my car. It's this terrible cycle, right? I just feel hopeless. Or maybe you're, uh, something happens to your health and the medical bills rack up and you just can't figure out what am I going to do with these and it just feels hopeless, you know, and a number of years ago, Amber and I went through the, uh, that Dave Ramsey um, financial freedom thing. Yeah. And, and so one of the steps is, right, to kind of pull all of your debts together and kind of see what you're dealing with. And the idea, right, is you snowball it and there's hope. You can get out of it. But we kind of lay out these debts and we're like, holy cats, what, what are we going to do with this? We haven't made this much money in our life. How did we spend this much? This is crazy, right? And so it just feels hopeless, all right? Um, and there was, a, there was a season of my life when I was in, in the center of hopelessness, the, the, the dark center of the void that is hopelessness, also called Fox Brothers. And, sorry, it was a joke. That was a joke. So, Fox Brothers, I, I worked there as a, a building distributor, and we sold windows and doors and siding and roofing and, and things like that. And around 2008, thing, the, there's a housing crash, right? And things got really tough in, in the building industry, and they let some people go, and so had more responsibilities, and they cut pay, and they cut benefits, and there's less people trying to do more. Very, very stressful situation. And it got to the point where I could not imagine going back into that place. I, not one more day, Amber, I can't go back. I can't be there anymore. It's too horrible. And so I would open up the newspaper, I would go on to monster.com, and certainly there is something else that I can do, right? But it just seemed like there was nothing that I was, um, that I was capable of, right? I didn't have the degree. I couldn't do any of these things. Or maybe they seemed more horrible or they made less money. Or there was some reason I couldn't do this thing. It just felt hopeless. And so then I was like, well, I, I can't just get a new job. I have got no skills. I need to go back to school. So I went to Kalamazoo Valley Community College, and I decided I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to school, and I'll get a degree, and then I can get a, a job. And so I look at, at the, the degree programs they have there at Valley, and they're all terrible, all of them. And bless Valley, they, all their degrees are terrible. And no, so for some people, they're probably great. And sorry. And so I decided. You can email Cameron at newdaycommunity.org. Um, so, so I decided to go back. I decided, I just pick a degree. I, I picked the, the least terrible degree. I was like, I'll be an English major. Um, I don't know, I'll do something English. Um, and because certainly they're not going to have a whole degree where you can't get a job afterwards, right? And so I'll, go, I'll get this degree and then I will, um, I'll get a job doing English. And, and so... So I figure out my program, all right, these are the classes you need to take. I get the, the catalog, I sit down, and because of my work schedule, and because of, you know, I had three little kids and a family, right, because of church obligations, none of the, the times when the classes that I needed to take were available, and I was thrown back into hopelessness. I am never getting out of Fox Brothers. This is it. I'm going to die here, you know, and I... And I made my peace with it. That's, I'm not, no, I didn't. Amber's like, no, you did not. So, and, 
and so uh, around this time, I started meeting with Greg Miller. And Greg Miller is amazing. I don't think he's gone. Greg Miller is wonderful. And we began talking, and he would ask me questions about, well, where do you want to go? And, and what do you want to do? And what are your passions? And, and what, what do you dream about? And, and what do you want to do? And so, so through meeting with him and kind of talking about it and kind of dreaming with him, I, I realized that, oh, I don't, I don't want to be English. Or, sorry, I don't want to get... <laughs> I want to be Australian. I don't want to be English. I don't want to be... <laughs> I don't want... I want to be a pastor. <laughs> I'm... I want to talk in front of people for a living. Um, uh, and, so, and so Greg helped me to see the, this vision, right? And so even though I was still at Fox Brothers, I was still in the pit of hopelessness, right? I realized that, oh, this is where I'm going. And we laid out a, a plan, like here's the obstacles that are getting in the way, right? And this is how we're going to get there. But this renewed hope, it changed everything, like, even though I was still at Fox Brothers, still in the same situation, I knew where I was going, and I had a plan to get there. And so that hope changed everything. And so when we look at the, the Nicene Creator, when we look at this idea of, of Jesus coming back, what it gives us is hope. Because we are in the midst of a difficult Time, right? We're in the midst of, uh, of a world that still is overcome with, with, the, with sin and destruction and death and sadness, and it's not very fun. But we know that we have hope in Jesus Christ. All right. And so the part of the creed that we're going to be looking at today is, From thence he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And from this, friends, is hope. This gives us hope. As Christ followers, we have hope. Oh, not too far. So in the series so far, we have talked um, about Cameron. The first week talked about how God is our Father, and he created everything that is seen and everything that is not seen. Right? And Graham talked about how Jesus is fully divine and fully human. And Cameron came back again and taught us that Jesus came back to save us. And then Kathy last week talked about how Jesus was crucified, was dead and buried, and uh, was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Right? And it's from this place, from the right hand of God, that Jesus is coming back and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. And because of that, because of this coming kingdom, we have hope. We all question, we all want to know what happens in the end, right? We all wonder what's that going to look like. And we can see in popular culture, right, that a lot of people are asking these questions and wondering what it's going to be like. Has anybody, anybody watched Falling Skies? Two, three. It's, it's really good. Real good. So in Falling Skies, right, the end of the world is an alien invasion. It's pretty cool. It's pretty crazy. Um, um, so that's pretty cool. Um, the Walking Dead, whoever watches The Walking Dead that is willing to admit it in church will pray for you right over here at the end of service. So The Walking Dead is, uh, you know, the end of the world is a zombie apocalypse, right? And who remembers war games? There it is. Matthew Broderick. 
80s, probably the 80s, right? And they were worried about thermonuclear war, right? Do you want to play a game? Hmm? That was my impersonation of the computer. Um, anyway, so, so there's this question, what is the end going to look like? And uh, the, people think they know when it's going to be, right? Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, man, I remember listening to Christian radio and tell them telling me what a bad provider and husband and father I was if I didn't have stockpiles of water and, and food prepared for when everything came crashing down at the end of 1999. Luckily, we pressed through. I, had, I think we had one and a half gallons of water in the house at the time. Um, so we were partially ready, um, but it would have been fine. Um, and then we were just... Just recently, right, there's all this, this hootenanny about the, the Mayan calendar, right? Oh, the Mayan, their calendar only went to December 21st of 2012, right? Uh-oh, it's going to be the end of the world. Be ready. And then my personal favorite is this guy in, um, in uh, Times Square, and he's got a sign that says, Judgment Day, May 21st. I don't know if you can read it, but it says the Bible guarantees it. So, so get ready. So, actually, good news. That was uh, 2013. Um, so, we've pushed through. We've managed it. And uh, so, a lot of people are asking this question, when is the end of the world? And a friend of mine on Facebook uh, just posted this a, a week or so ago. It's a, an article, a science article, um, about the universe may be on the brink of collapse in the cosmological timescale. So, according to this article, the, the universe in just about 10 million years, is going to stop expanding, it's going to start retracting, and life as we know it is going to come to an end. So, you have about 10 million years to get your life ready for the end of the world, okay? All right, so, but this isn't a new question, right? We see here in the book of Matthew that the disciples also we're wondering about the end times. I'm sure there's a lot of you who are saying, thankfully, he's finally putting some scripture into this sermon. We are in church after all. And so, there's a lot of scripture. We're just getting to it. We're getting to the good parts. So, the disciples asked this question in Matthew 24. Uh, it says that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. And he said to them, Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples wanted to know, when are you coming back, Jesus? When is going to be the end of the age? And Jesus, just a few verses later, replies, he says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so Jesus won't answer the question, when. He just says, just keep watch and be ready, because you don't know when I'm coming back. Could be any time. Are you ready now? That's not in there. I added that. So the, so the disciples were asking the wrong question, right? Jesus couldn't answer when, but we see as we continue on in Matthew that he did answer what? He doesn't tell us when the end times are coming. He doesn't tell us when he's coming back, but he tells us that in those days there will be judgment. Ooh. 
That sounds like a downer. Right? All right. Um, So let's see what Jesus said in Matthew 25. And I apologize. The words are real small in these slides. So, just bear with me. So, the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and not go to you? There's no way I can read that. Um, That's crazy. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, at Jesus' return... At his second coming, he will judge the hearts of all people, both living and dead. He will separate those who have believed and submitted their lives to Jesus' lordship and those who have not. Those who believe and submit to Jesus, they will go on into eternal life. But those who have turned their backs on Jesus to eternal punishment. And this is heavy, right? This is serious, and we cannot take this lightly. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. As we look through the the Gospels, as we see Jesus, he did not shy away from this topic that he was appointed to be the judge, and he was coming back. And in the last days, there would be a judgment. And we need to make a decision. And Kathy talked about this last week. Pilate wanted to wash his hands of this whole Jesus affair. Right? But we cannot wash our hands. We need to make a decision. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is Jesus the Son of God, our Messiah? Or are we going to turn our backs on him? But... There is good news. Well, that got heavy, Mark. Jeez. Jeez. There is good news, all right? There is, this is not this big, angry, vengeful God that is looking forward to, to coming back and getting revenge on all these people who crucified his son. 
right? He's not coming back like and to 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 beat us up because we're such horrible sinners, right? The the same God that is coming back is the one who did not spare His only Son. You know, the same Jesus who is coming back is the, is the Jesus who willingly stepped out of heaven, became a man, and was willing to give up his rights, and ultimately willing to give up his life for you and for me. The good news is, that is who's coming back. And when Jesus comes back, knowing that Jesus is coming back, we can rejoice. Yay! <laughs> All right, so we can we can rejoice, right? And I don't I don't have time to to get into this fully, right? But there's this idea that it is, um, well, this this reality that it's faith and not works that makes us makes it possible for us to be saved, right? This uh, scripture can kind of sound like, oh, if you didn't do enough, you're not getting in, right? But as as we look in in this, what this really teaches, I believe, in the book of James and elsewhere, it's not that uh, our works save us, but our, our works reveal our faith. So it's out of our faith, it's out of this relationship with Jesus that these good works flow. All right? And so it's our faith and not our works that will save us. Faith in Jesus. All right. So, why is Jesus coming back good news? Why is this such good news? And I believe that it is because when Jesus comes back, it will be the fulfillment of his glorious kingdom. It will be the consummation of what he started when he was incarnate over 2,000 years ago. Right, and so we're just going to take a quick look at where we are headed and why this is such good news. And in Revelation 21, uh, it says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And this is awesome news. This is exciting, right? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The, the new Jerusalem, the, the city of God, is going to come to earth. And we will dwell with God, and God will dwell with us forever here on earth. And in this new kingdom, there will be no tears, and there will be no death, and no mourning, no crying, no pain. Because the old order, the order of, of sin and death, has passed away. And that is pretty exciting, right? The, the consummation, when Jesus comes back, the, it will be the consummation. That means complete in every detail. It will, the, the, the kingdom will be complete and will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. He will come back and he's going to do away with sin. Get rid of selfishness and pride and, and fear and hate and all these things that have no place in God's kingdom. All these things that original sin allowed into God's perfect world. And in this complete or this consummated kingdom, we will thrive as we were designed to thrive. 
to love in all of its fullness, to create culture, to adventure, to live and to enjoy life, to enjoy this world to its fullest without the restraint of sin. It's going to be good. So, that's going to be good. So, you might say, well, didn't Jesus already bring the kingdom? I remember in Matthew 4, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And so... That is true. He did uh, kind of kick off the kingdom. And I'm going to do my best to kind of illustrate this. Um, and I stole this from a, uh, a professor up in at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. And he did this real good. And we'll do the best I can. All right. So there's this old order, right? The Israelites, Israel saw that there is this old age or this old order. God creates a perfect, wonderful world. Adam and Eve mess it up. And all of a sudden, sin and death and destruction are in. And they have these expectations, right, that the Messiah is going to come. They've got their scripture and they've got the the prophecies that say a Messiah is going to come and he is going to inaugurate this new kingdom. He's going to kick out all these people that have uh, oppressed... uh, the, the Israelites and God will enter into his, um, he will once again rule and, and reign in the world and Israel will be put back into their proper place and all the world will be blessed through Israel. So there's this old order, the Messiah comes, gets rid of all the bad things and all of a sudden it's a new age and it's wonderful and it's, it's heaven and it's bliss and wonderful. Right? And this was their understanding. But Jesus comes. Jesus the Messiah comes and he doesn't come with a sword. He doesn't kick out the Romans. He doesn't set anybody free politically. Right? It seems that Jesus comes and dies and not much changes. But this is our uh, understanding of, of the coming age. Right? We're in this old age, this age of, of sin and death and destruction, and certainly we can see that around us. And yet, you and I are here living in the kingdom now. We have access through Jesus Christ into the new age, into the kingdom age. And so, we have access, right, to supernatural healing because there's no death and there's no destruction, right, in, in heaven, Right? In the new age, in the new kingdom. We live in restored relationships with God and with each other and with the world. Right? We have access to joy and peace and love and patience and freedom from God right now. Even in the midst of this sin-ravaged world. And we can find the fullness of life here and now as we access what is available in the kingdom through Jesus Christ. All right, and so, so we were, were taught to pray that even in, in the midst of this dark world, we say, God, let your kingdom come on, ha- on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom, that's right, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because you and I, we are ambassadors of this new kingdom. We are ambassadors of the, the peace and the joy and the life and the liberty, the freedom that Jesus has for us and that, that is waiting for us in all of its fullness after Jesus' return. You see, at Jesus' second coming, we will have all this great stuff that we have access to now in all of its fullness, in all of its completeness. Sin and death will be cast off into the lake of fire. It's going to be good. Did I say that already? It is. It's going to be good. So, 
how should this idea of Jesus' return, this idea that he is going to fulfill the, the kingdom in all of its fullness, how should that affect our lives? And as we mentioned at the beginning, the, the way that it affects us is that we have hope. We have hope in the midst of this sin-ravaged world. And hope is a confident expectation that Jesus is coming back and that he is going to set everything right again. So in 1 Peter, uh, I'm just going to read a, a portion of this. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter, he was writing in the early 60s, um, and he was writing to Christians who were scattered uh, through Asia Minor, and they were living in the increased levels of persecution. You know, no longer was Christianity put up with or viewed as a, as a legal sect of Judaism, but as the, the Roman Emperor Claudius uh, came into power, he tried to, to bring back the, the Roman faith. And we see that he's more and more antagonistic of all these foreign religions. And so Christians are being more and more persecuted at this time. And shortly after this letter, Nero becomes the emperor, and he kills thousands of believers in Rome, in, and possibly including Peter, who had just written this letter. And so it's in this time of trial and trouble and persecution and difficulty that he writes this amazing passage. And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So good. Peter's writing to these people being persecuted. He's saying, I know that you're going through difficulty. I know things are tough. I know that you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But you can rejoice. And you can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. As he says, I know that things are tough. I know things aren't going super well. But God is coming back. And he is going to set everything right. He's not forgotten you. And he has not abandoned you. And in the same way, the Father is speaking these same words to you and to me. That, yeah, life is hard. There is difficulty. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Because regardless of what your situation is right now, regardless of what you are going through, this is not the end of the story. We know 
that Jesus is coming back. And he is going to set everything right again. And so we live in a world ravaged by sin. But we hold on to hope. We hold on to this confident expectation that Jesus is coming back. That he has not abandoned us. That he is with us in the midst of our trials and our struggles. And we know that when he returns, there will be a judgment. Where we will be called to account for what we have believed and for what we have done. And we know that through faith, we will be ushered into eternal life. Through faith in Jesus, we will be ushered into eternal pleasure with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And we are going to see this final consummation of this glorious kingdom. Sin and death thrown into the lake of fire and we will live free from sin forever in the fullness of life, unhindered by sin. And this, friends, is our great hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of hope. God, we thank you that you are with us through every situation of life, God. God, that even if we're in a, in a place where everything seems dark and we feel hopeless, we thank you that you are there with us. That you are right there next to us. You are shielding us. You are protecting us. And Lord Jesus, we choose right now to put our trust and our hope in you. And we thank you and we rejoice in the fact that you are coming back. And that you are going to set everything right again. So I just invite you just to stand with me as we close. And if you are feeling like you are in, in the, a hopeless situation... If you feel like you are in this, this place where you don't know how you're going to get out of it, and maybe it's financial, or maybe you feel hopeless in your health, or maybe you feel hopeless in your friendships, in your relationships, maybe you feel hopeless about your future, or hopeless about the world, I just encourage you just to close your eyes, to open your hands, and to invite Jesus in to that hopeless situation. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with hope? God, we can't make it happen. We can't stir it up on our own. So we just invite you in right now. And I just feel like Jesus is coming next to some of you and he's putting his arm around you and saying, we've got this. I'm going to see you through this. This is not the end of the story. And there is victory and freedom. Just hold on to hope. Trust me. And so we say yes, Jesus. We say yes to you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.